We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. You're in a lot of trouble, and maybe it's because... Well, sorry, Canada. <laughs> and because Philly sucks. I feel like I fear Boston most of all out of any of the Eastern Conference teams. Nah. Yeah. Okay. Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the Brew Hoop Podcast. We're calling this one The Return. And the reason why we're calling it that is because even though Adam Paris is out this week, out of the weather, or under the weather, I guess, we have the guy, the Sultan of... I had some titles for you a couple weeks ago. There's something about like the, the Taj Mahal of takes, something along those lines. <coughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Kyle Carr is back. Kyle, how are you doing? I am back, and I am good. It's been, it's been a long time. I think the last time we recorded was before Christmas, and... For anyone that doesn't know, my son was born on Christmas Day, which was the biggest surprise I could have gotten because that was five and a half weeks early. <laughs> so Wait, was it was it the greatest present Santa could have given you though? Yeah, yeah. It's like it was funny because <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's one of those where I was like, when I look back, it's like, yes, it was, but like the day of it was like because I got woke up. I Emma woke me up at 4 a.m. like, hey, my water broke. And I was like, okay, let's go to the hospital. <laughs> yep. They're like, yep, you are definitely at that point. We're just going to deliver this baby now. So you're going to have a child within, you know, 24 to 72 hours or whatever. Yep. I was like, okay. And my parents were supposed to come to our house in Madison for Christmas. So I'd like text them and be like, hey, don't come over. We're in the hospital. Everything's fine. But Emma's currently in labor. Yeah. And it was just, as I'm just sitting there, it's like, you're kind of just, a lot of it is just like trying to be there and helping as much as you can which you really can't because it's not like you can take the pain away yeah but yeah i was born right before the sixers game but i missed all of that and yeah that since then it's been trying to figure out what day of the week it was i trying to get some sleep that didn't happen it seems like i missed a lot um we apparently have a parody account called brew poop which is pretty much a nihilist <laughs> wannabe knockoff version i guess um i was arguing with a dump truck on twitter yeah, that was that was a fun time. Yep. <laughs> and otherwise, the Bucks are still doing what they need to do. Besides a couple slip ups against the Sixers and Spurs, and I know you guys went over that. It seems like they just didn't bring their A game and defensively when you're allowing teams to hit the shots that they do, and a lot of those were wide open. You're kind of in trouble. But Bucks are still doing great, still cruising ahead in the Eastern Conference, still on pace to win seventy games, which is kind of unreal to think of because i did not think they were going to surpass a win total of 60 last year and it looks like they might crush that by by march at this rate yeah we're gonna get into the more optimistic takes since uh you weren't here last week to help balance me and adam out but we just want to say one more time congratulations to you and emma we're uh happy for you guys and we're happy to have you back even if it's only you know occasionally as you still have to do daddy dues but my one question is and i think this is instructive for all Bucks fans of a certain age who might uh, be thinking about or becoming a parent somewhat soon. How have you tackled catching any sort of Bucks content? Is it like bleary died at 3 a.m. while you're trying to handle your son, like just watching Twitter highlights? Are you able to occasionally watch a game or like how have you gone about tackling that task? So the nice oh. thing with the Bucks being on the West Coast was I was 
at least when I would have <laughs> oh, to change the a opposite. diaper. <laughs> this is the opposite. Well, no, 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 no. Okay. When I, at least then I was like able to like check the score. And it was still going. It was still alive, and I was still awake. So that was kind of the nice part of it. But the problem is, half the time I was so out of it, I didn't even know. I didn't even know when the Bucks were playing. Like I think it was the San Antonio Spurs home game. And Emma came down and I had the Bucks here on TV. She's like, I didn't even know the Bucks were playing. I was like, I honestly didn't either until I got the text notification. <laughs> so <laughs> knowing what games were happening those first few weeks, I did not keep track of. I think the only games I fully watched were until this past week was the first half of the Warriors game and maybe like snippets of the Spurs home game. Otherwise, I have not paid any attention to what's going on. Until, like I said, this past week where I actually did watch the games, but it's tough. Like, you kind of just like sit on Twitter, and that's how I got in. Obviously, checking the website and not going to ESPN apparently because again, I didn't know what was going on, but lots of just kind of just scrolling through and seeing a tweet from someone like, okay, the Bucks had a game, they won, cool, go back to bed. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's it, it drives home how impressive it is for our site co-manager Mitchell because he he recently had a kid last year I think he he has two kids and the amount of content he's able to put out on the website and still like keep up with the team and provide really you know invested and well-rounded and well-educated tweets about the team like any of you guys with kids or any sort of responsibilities that like that to be able to keep up with the team as much as you do is uh, it's really impressive in my opinion so good on you guys. It's yeah, a, I was going to say, like, I don't know how Mitchell does it, and I don't know how most parents do it. Also, shout out the nursing staff at the hospital we were at. They're fantastic because Sterling was in the NICU because he was so early. I mean, he was only there for six days, but just having, like, a staff that w- would frequently monitor him and take care of him. And nurses deserve a shout out. They were great to Em and I when we were in the hospital and when he was there, so... Just shout out to all the nurses out there as well. Shout out. This is Nurse Hoop. Welcome to Nurse Hoop this week. So, <laughs> so uh, with all that out of the way, uh, like you said, the Bucks have kind of been keep on keeping on uh, this past week. We had three games. We'll just kind of go over them real quick uh, just to break them down. So a 128-102 victory over the Knicks. There's not really much to talk about there, really, because it was a massacre of the Knicks. The 128-123 win over the Celtics. And then yesterday, because uh, we're recording on Sunday, a 117-97 win over the Nets. I would say of those three games, the one that's most relevant is obviously the Celtics game. The Nets a little bit, uh, though they're a tough team to really get a grasp on. So which of those three would you like to begin with in terms of breaking it down? I mean, we could start with the Knicks game just because, and I have something in the works for Brew Hoop on it, but Dragon Bender, first quarter minutes. And I know we're going to talk about that later as well, but... That was something I wasn't predicting that much just because, you know, out of all, I know Robin Lopez was out, but Dragon Bender getting the call ahead of DJ Wilson was kind of surprising. And Giannis getting 37 points in like 21 minutes is ridiculously absurd. It's, mm-hmm. it's just, I think this is just more to say like how Giannis was able to do all of that in such a short amount of time was, it was kind of silly. And it was it was a super impressive. And I think this was also the game that I was arguing with a bunch of make America great again peasants. So that was <laughs> that was an eventful game for me. <laughs> it was a good game to choose to argue with people online because even if you miss anything happening in the game, it was such a such a slaughter that really didn't matter. No, I think it's it, it's difficult with these teams that are really quite poor because really the only thing you can keep an eye on is like, oh, is there like one guy on the other team who will go off to kind of keep it competitive in this game? 
They actually had three guys who got into 20 plus scoring. It was uh, Julius Randle, uh, RJ Barrett and Bobby Portis, which after that, I think looking at the other starters, like Alfred Payton, two points, uh, Bullock got three, Taj Gibson, zero points. And then the bench obviously didn't help him out. So it was just, you know, when you play a team as bad as the Knicks, it's easy to quote unquote, like take the night off or to not bring it completely, but credits to the Bucks. Some opponents, they do kind of lackadaisical and loaf around a little bit, but against the Knicks, all three times they played them, it's kind of been pretty straightforward, like kicking a butt. So, and like even, even the shot chart, like the Knicks only go 36 to 102, and the Knicks ended up having 10 more shots than the Bucks, and it still didn't matter at all. So, it, it was just ugly, ugly yeah. for the Knicks. And, and the score much. definitely does not fully reflect. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, it doesn't. But I kind of felt bad because the Knicks uh, SB Nation page posted and toasted. At halftime, they were waving a white flag, Jeff. And I was like, I completely forgot there was a game because I was arguing with people on Twitter about politics. I was like, oh, yeah, there's a game going on. And there's a whole other site that ha- actually has to cover this team. I remember, I was not part of Brew Hoop in like the darkest days, but I can only imagine. There's, there is something interesting about rooting for a team that's really bad, but the issue with the Knicks, and this is kind of the issue with the Bucks before they got new ownership, was like, yes, we suck, but there's no real plan for how to get out of sucking really bad besides the chase for the golden free agent that will maybe never come to the Knicks. So it's got to be slightly depressing. Like they have some good players, I guess, or interesting young guys, but I'm right, not sure they have- if there's interesting guys but i think the issue with the knicks is like they spent all of last year like hoping that they would get zion and one of the big free agents and then they get none of those so now you're going into this year with the weaker draft class and a weaker free agency class and you're like i guess we'll just take the first pick and hope for the best out of that it's just tough for them because the only way they're going to get better is if they get that draft number one pick or free agent it doesn't look like either is happening while during the bucks darkest days it was kind of more of a well, they need to get a good draft pick because they're not getting the free agent. And oh yeah, the team might be sold and moved off any minute now. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure. This is dark days, but luckily we're past that. And maybe one day the Knicks will too. But it, like I said, just just a win. Not while well, James Dolan is only the team. Yeah, that's it's a tough spot for them. But it, more interesting, I think, for just the rest of the season and where the Bucks team is at is the 128-123 win over the Celtics. Weird game, uh, weird in that the first half was really, I mean, all bucks. I think they, at some point, at one point they were, they went 11 or 12 from three. I mean, they were not missing. They might've missed a couple at the end of the first half, but first half, all bucks offensively, they seemed to be really locked in defensively. And there was just a lot of tough shots for the Celtics inside. And then the second half happens and the shots aren't falling as much yet. The bucks don't really adjust their pace necessarily. So even though they're missing shots, the Celtics are getting a ton of, ton of opportunities on the other end in between Kemba Walker, who routine buck killer, that guy, he's, he's specifically built to kill the bucks and he, he sort of does. So it gets pretty close with 40 points, 11 rebounds and three assists. Uh, Marcus smart does this annoying defensive thing. And he actually ends up scoring 24 points himself. So it, it, it was, weird seesaw affair i'm not sure whether or not it's one of those where we say is this a concerning trend for milwaukee that they continue to have second halves after they blow team on the first half where they just kind of you know lays about until the game gets close or is, is it a positive that even though they end up giving that lead they hold on for the win at the end yeah it was kind of reminiscent of the first matchup between these two teams where milwaukee just 
got off to a fast start, but then got cold while the Celtics were getting hot. And the Bucks didn't really have a plan B, and it kind of was similar again in this regard. Just it felt like we all knew the Bucks weren't going to continue shooting this well in the first half, or at least you shouldn't have expected the Bucks to shoot that well in the first half. And when those shots kind of started drying up, then it was more of a now what do you do as a plan B? And there wasn't really much of that. Granted, the Bucks didn't get much other, other than Dante and George Hill. They didn't get much from their bench either, um, which made things more difficult. While with the Celtics, I think they just decided, okay, we're going to give the ball to Kemba, and he's going to do what he needs to do. I mean, like I said, 40 points on 14-23 shooting. That's pretty good, and it helped that the Celtics didn't really have much from anyone else, like Jason Tatum won 8 of 20. Gordon Hayward went 1 of 10. I mean, Marcus Smart, yeah, he was 5 of 10 from 3, which I guess he's a good shooter now, which I did not realize happened overnight. But it was just more Boston was able to slowly chip away and start hitting those shots, and Milwaukee wasn't, but Milwaukee didn't have a plan B. And that was kind of the tough part. And along with Giannis was, you know, he got his buckets. He was over 5 from 3, but it was good to see Chris Middleton still be really, really good against the Celtics. It was good to see Brooke Lopez hitting threes again. I think Grant, he was one of the beneficiaries of that hot start because I think he hit two or three of the first threes of the game. Yeah, I think it was the first three, yeah. Yeah, he was off to a hot start, but then Eric Bledsoe only takes nine shots. Wes Matthews only took three shots, and Eric Bledsoe not even being as part of the closing lineup was a little bit concerning, but I think it was just one of those where, thankfully, this time Milwaukee's defense was good enough that they it allowed them to win. Unlike last time where they just didn't have an answer for anything Boston did, this time they at least were able to still kind of restrict the easier shots that Boston were able to get. It's just that offensively they didn't have a plan B. Yeah, it's this is like like you said, this is almost a prototypical Bucks game where you have all your highs and all your lows. Like Giannis plays really well on the offensive end, and yet he still goes 0-5 from three, and he only hits 10 of his 20 free throws, which is just brutal. It, but yet still gets 32 points, 17 rebounds. Like you said, Chris Middleton, for whatever reason, against the Celtics, he's just really good. I, I don't know if it's like a size mismatch, if he just feels a lot more confident in it, but he ends up getting 23 points. Brooke Lopez, like you said, it, I think the two notable things for me, actually a couple of things. So obviously the Eric Bledsoe thing, we can talk about that a little bit more, but this is... Obviously, if you frame a pick or you frame up a game where like this is Eric Bledsoe pumpkin game, like this is a pumpkin game, like 20 minutes ends up picking up four fouls, I think, which is why he restricted some of his minutes and he got a technical kind of late in the third, I want to say. And I don't think he came out after that. Two and nine or three and nine from the floor. I'm sorry, actually, I got the wrong one. Yeah, two and nine from the floor, you know, four or four from the free throw line, which is fine. But like, you know, just he, he didn't have much for Kemba and to his credit, I don't think the Bucks have had anything from Kemba for the past two to three seasons, so that's not atypical. Wes Matthews, he doesn't make any shots, but he plays, you know, pretty good defense against Jason Tatum, so that's pretty typical as well. The biggest thing that jumped out to me was, like you said, the bench guys were probably the difference in this one. Where last season, maybe you have Eric who kind of disappears, and if that's going to be the case, even if Giannis and Chris play well. If the other team's playing well, it's going to make it difficult. But between George going for 13, Dante, 19 points, career high. He goes four or six from three, which was totally unexpected, but good for him. And then there were a couple of Kyle Korver. He goes two or three for three. There were a couple of timely threes on his part where, especially in the third quarter, the run was really, I mean, the Celtics were 
really racing after the Bucks, and there was, I believe, he was like Kyle Carver was a quick baseline jumper and then another three from the baseline like a couple possessions later to help kind of break up things a little bit and stop the momentum which you know you can argue with that momentum something but even just timely shots like that maybe he's not hitting it all the time but if he's able to make a couple of those that obviously justifies the reason why he's on the team yeah and i was gonna say that's that those plays are why you have kyle carver and even if it's just so that he can't do it against you um it's helpful yeah dante was fantastic and i am I, for one, am loving the ever-continued rise of Dante being good and everyone realizing it. Um, he just seemed to – he was definitely feeling it in terms of three-point shooting, four of six from three. And a lot of those were just, I'm just going to pull up and take this shot. So if you can get that kind of Dante, I think he's 100% entrenched himself in a playoff rotation. And now it's getting to the point where he could have been a trade piece at the beginning of the season and maybe like at the first half of it, but now we're getting to closer to the second half and looking at the playoffs, he's got to be a guy that you should keep not only because when he's hitting his shots, he looks great, but defensively he's been a standout kind of seems like he is picking up what Eric Bledsoe left for him at the, from last year and just jumping the passing lanes, having active hands, getting deflections, still skying for rebounds, even though he only got three, but he'll still go for it. And George Hill, I don't know when the wheels are going to fall off on him, but man, that it, it's kind of funny just looking at some of these decisions with the guards. You know, you get Wes Matthews. He's not up good offensively, but good defensively. You look at George Hill and he's been playing as well as he has since he faced the Celtics last year in the playoffs. Dante comes in and he's providing good minutes. And that's not even including guys like Sterling Brown and Pat Connaughton, who we know can provide that service. So getting those guys to chip in when Eric Bledsoe seems to disappear is going to be huge for the playoff run. Obviously, this team can make it far, but it can only go as far as Eric allows them to. And that's the only thing I'm slightly worried about. But at the same time, when you can call on George Hill or Dante DiVincenzo to come in and close the, close the games, it makes you feel a little bit better. Yeah, and as much as I've been a bit of a hater of Wes Matthews, like it's games like this where his value really shines, where because he can defend up or down a position – he's able to be assigned to whoever like the big scoring offensive wing is for the other team. And that saves Chris Middleton. Now, you know, we've had discussions and a little bit of debate of how much the need to defend Kawhi last year kind of took it out of Chris and he wasn't able to get to go offensively, but let's assume for the sake of argument, that was something that was a concern this year, because Wes is on the team, you're able to assign him to someone and put him like, okay, you're just here for defense. And if you're also able to space and make the occasional three, great. But I, I think now that we're, you know, past 41 games into the season, what's important about him is I thought when he came in, he, the easiest thing is to say, this is the like for like Malcolm replacement. He's been not at all like a replacement offensively, but that's fine. Like that that's the thing that I'm coming to terms with is the fact that he, when you look at his stats, when you look at his passes, like this is a guy who can still put it up, like score quite a bit, especially from outside. That is not the role that he fulfills anymore. And that's, that's perfectly fine and something that's going to be valuable, but it makes it difficult to evaluate on a game to game basis where you're like, well, he's still not scoring. I, I've come to terms with the fact that he's important. If only because he's the lockdown guy on occasion, even if he's not able to bring it every single night, if he can do that for a couple of games in the playoffs, that's, you know, obviously wonderful and helps out and makes life a lot easier on the offensive end. Yeah. And it's kind of like if he can defensively play at a high level, then that's when you could go to Kyle Corver and hope that he 
he hit two or three threes to kind of fill in that void that West won't be able to do because of those defensive responsibilities. So it'll be interesting to see what Bud does with West Matthews and Kyle Corver come playoff time, just because I think he's going to play both, but how much and what roles are they going to be needed are going to be different just because if the Bucks are playing Boston, you can see Bud doing the same thing, putting West Matthews on someone like Jason Tatum. And granted, when Jalen Brown is healthy, that might change some things, but you can at least just let Chris Milton focus solely on offense and continue his hot stretch. But when you're playing a team, you know, like Orlando or even Toronto, then you can maybe just let West Matthews focus more on his offense, hit some threes, and Chris can still do everything that he needs to do. Yeah, and the the other thing that I want to just quick bring up from this game, what was interesting to me is if you look at the rotations, because I think if we're considering the playoffs, which is pretty much all we can do at this point with a seven and a half game lead on the second seed in the East, the thing that's interesting to me is looking at the rotations and the minute allocation. So in this past game, I'm just going to run down the top guys who got minutes. So Giannis with 34. Uh, Chris with 30, Brooke with 30, Wes with 28, Eric with 20, Dante with 27, George Hill 25, Kyle uh, 18, Ursan 15, and then some Robin Lopez minutes. And that was like the rotation. And to me, that feels pretty accurate to what it's going to end up being in the playoffs. Like, especially if this is a typical game where Bud's hand is forced a little bit, like, who am I going to rely on? That feels right to me. And I know. Adam and I had a discussion last week of who are going to be your top eight. So maybe you can kind of jump in here and provide your own answer to that. But I thought it was interesting that that was, those were the guys that he went with. And I think the biggest question marks out of those players to me are obviously Kyle and uh, Ursan probably to an extent. And it may be Robin Lopez, just because each of them, at least Kyle and Ursan potential defensive liabilities, but they still have a role to play on offense and Robin, that feels like a bit of a wild card just because with a backup center in a playoff scenario, like how much, how many minutes are you even going to get a guy like that? Yeah. I think if I had to do my eight, it'll be the starting five. So Eric, Wes, Chris, Giannis, Brooke. And then after that, I think Ursan will get playing time as a backup four. I think Robin Lopez will still get some playing time just to give Brooke a breather. I also, but then it's also tough because I don't know how much, is Bud going to do Ursan at the five or Giannis at the five lineup? So that's going to be difficult as well. George Hill will definitely play, and I think Dante will play. So I would say Bud's going to go with nine guys and then maybe break in a 10th with Kyle Korver if needed. But I would say it's going to be consistently the starters and then George Hill, Dante, Ursan, and Robin Lopez coming off the bench. Just I just don't see him not using Robin unless he absolutely can't which could be possible but i i think he'll at least give him a chance just to give brooke a breather and not have the play at the five and take that physical punishment yeah i think it it's interesting I, the issue with any sort of this kind of also ties into what if anything the bucks might do at the trade deadline is like if you get rid of Ursan, that's like a 15 minute gap. And even, you know, maybe say this lineup was a little, or this rotation was a little bit longer than you might do in a critical, you know, crunch time lineup there. Obviously I assume any trade that happens, DJ would probably be attached to it. But if you get rid of DJ and you get rid of Ursan, like as part of a trade, just for salary purposes, I'm not sure how many dudes you can get back in a trade that would fulfill the role that Ursan does like as the, 
backup four or even like a small ball five. And I think we've seen the small ball lineups every once in a while, but that doesn't feel like something that Bud goes to all that often. And I don't think he went to that all that often in the playoffs last year. So I think it's interesting insofar as it brings up the fact that even if you want to make a trade and want to upgrade, and even if you think that maybe Ursan like, Obviously, he's still helpful on the offensive end, and he has moments defensively, especially with drawing charges and stuff like that. He's tough to replace. Like he's he's really valuable in the way the rotation works, especially if, let's say, they just stay the way they are, and you find like a buyout guy or whatever. Like it, there's, there's no easy way to replace Ursan with somebody who would be able to fill the role for like ten to fifteen minutes in a critical game, and. I don't know. It's just a difficult position for the Bucks to be in. I think, like, obviously, it's a good position. They're really good. They're winning a lot of games. Um, and you know, wondering about the eighth guy in the rotation isn't the end of the world. But still, that's like ten minutes that could be problematic. And that's just you're rolling your dice with Ursan at this point, which it worked out in this game to a certain extent. Like he he played decently, but against certain opponents, maybe that's not going to go the same way. Yeah, and. I mean, you don't believe in Dragon Bender? Be that yeah. Guy. Well, I don't know about Dragon Bender at the four. Like he seems like at this point he's probably, especially <laughs> as we've seen with Robin being out, like he happens to be the backup five. It, obviously, it, Dragon is shot way ahead of DJ in terms of trustability and turn on uh, Bud's part, which is fine. It's whatever at this point. But I'm not sure if he's shot so far forward where you can reliably put them in at the four or even us like a small ball five and get by so i think you're right saying robin's probably going to get the burn at the five and I, I, unless it's a break glass in case of emergency situation i don't see dragon filling in those minutes so yeah and in terms of a trade i i don't know what the bucks necessarily should or could trade for if you're gonna because i feel like if you're going to make a trade you have to include or you have to include that first round pick from yeah. Indy, which is fine but then what are you trying to bring in? Are you bringing in a wing to come in and just take more minutes away from Wes and Kyle and maybe Dante? I don't know. Are you, if you're trying to do a home run and get a new point guard, well, then you have to trade Eric Bledsoe, but which point guard is definitively better than Eric Bledsoe at the current contracts that could give Milwaukee the edge? Because I know everyone keeps saying Chris Paul. I don't think Chris Paul is the answer, and I don't think Drew Holiday is necessarily the answer either. I just don't know who is available that would be that player. Do you then get some like Robert Covington, who's probably going to fetch a lot. And then you're also, you will have to include DJ. You have to include Sterling. You probably should include Pat Connaughton as well, just because they're going to have so many guys that play the same position. So it's just really difficult to know what exactly are you going to be trading for? Are you going to kind of do what you did last year and get someone like Nikola Miritich, who you hope can come off the bench and provide some spot minutes with four. But if his shots aren't falling like they were, then it's a complete disaster. And now you're looking at this trade like, I mean, you do it all over again, but it failed miserably. And that's kind of the tough part with this Bucks team because, yes, there are, you can obviously improve the team and improve the roster and try and make moves to solidify yourself more as favorites. But at the same time, how many of those players that can do that are available and what are you necessarily willing to give up? Because I think I saw on Twitter someone said the Bucks should trade Sterling, Urson, Pat Connaughton, DJ Wilson, the 20, Indiana's first round pick, and the 2024 the Bucks will have first round pick for Robert Covington and Josh Kogan. So like that's probably too much to give up for 
those two players. Yes, they're good. Yes, Okogi can be a good asset, and Covington can immediately help the team. But you're also pillaging a backup four. You're pillaging your backup fours. You're pillaging win guys, and then you're getting rid of draft picks that, yeah, they might not be useful until 20, like in the 20s, but it's still first-round picks that you can use to probably get a better package. So it's going to be interesting to see how the trade deadline works just because I I think DJ Wilson's going to get traded, and it's just a matter of are you doing it for a salary dump? Are you doing it to actually improve the roster? Yeah, it's a lot of intrigue. We'll talk a little bit more about DJ here shortly, but I just want to wrap up this segment here by talking about the Nets game as well. So, like I said, 117-97 win for the Bucks yesterday, Saturday, uh, on the road in Brooklyn. The first, like, 15 minutes or so of the game, Brooklyn was doing a decent job of keeping up offensively, but... Um, they're underhanded. They're in sort of a weird place with Kyrie. He just came back, I believe, last week, like early last week. They're still kind of figuring out who they are and who's going to stick around and who's worthwhile. So, I, I, again, it's just another game where I don't know how much to take away from it. Like, Brooklyn might be in the playoff race and we might face them in the first round. But if this game was to be any sort of example, I'm not too worried about it because it looked like, at least offensively, a little bit of a struggle for Milwaukee for you know, a couple of quarters, but defensively, I mean, they were just stifling. Like I believe all the starters for the nets all shot under 50% and like Kyrie six to 15 from the floor, Torian Prince, four to 15, uh, Dinwiddie three to 12 from the floor. So I think credit to Milwaukee's defense more than the offense in this game. Yeah, it was, a, well, it didn't help that in the first quarter, Giannis was the only Bucks player that could get any offense going. And he drew two quick fouls because he got called for charges. So, it threw everything off and they couldn't hit a three to save their life. So how much of that is going to repeat itself? I don't know. I mean, I, the charges getting called on Giannis, I feel like that's going to happen. That's just how it is. And it's annoying, but at the same time, this is just the reality of a player like Giannis who, you know, he's going to barrel his weight. You've said it multiple times. He's going to barrel his weight to the rim. So now it's just on Giannis to find a way, a different way to do it. That can call for charges. Yes. The refs can be better, but, it's not going to change. But I think with this game in particular, it was kind of weird because it's not necessarily, yeah, the Nets struggled, and this looks like it could be a first-round matchup just because the team in ninth place is Detroit, and they're three games out of the playoff spot, and they look to be going heading south with possibly trading Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin out again with another procedure. So this would be a playoff preview, and they, I mean, they were relying on Timothy Luau Cabaret for 20 minutes and it's not great that's not great and this team and they didn't have joe harris which might have changed their offense a little bit because joe harris is a really good three-point shooter but in terms of the bucks defense did exactly what it needed to do i think it helps having with the nets having jared allen and eventually deandre jordan it does kind of clog up the paint so they're not able to space out the floor as much and you know you got guys like spencer dinwiddie you have karis lavert you have Tori and Prince, who are capable shooters, but they're not guys that you necessarily think, okay, you absolutely have to lock him down like Joe Harris, which then leaves it up to Kyrie. And if Kyrie's going to take the majority of the shots, that, that kind of works in your favor. So Milwaukee's defense definitely was very, very impressive. But I know like the Nets offense is kind of built for Milwaukee's defense where you're going to force, force them to shoot mid-rangers and they'll be happy to take it. Yeah, and I thought... It's just kind of circling back around to the Bucks side of things. Uh, 
even on this is like typically Giannis, even on a game where he was really out of sorts, especially with all the charges. Like I think he had eight turnovers, four of them which uh, were from charges. So he he ends up all four of his fouls are from being a little too aggressive offensively. Um, one could say though, one could also argue that the other teams are doing certain strategies that make that difficult to avoid. But even when he's having a tough time, like still gets 29 points and 12 <laughs> rebounds. So it really, really it did not end up mattering. This is uh, kind of looking through the rest of the box uh, chart here as well. Eric Bledsoe, another little bit of a dud first half, um, somewhat quiet. He ends up getting foul trouble again, which I think contributes, but second half he ends up throwing together five assists, which helps out quite a bit. Uh, we look around Chris again, just like a, another ho-hum 20 point game, like nothing too crazy. He just did Chris things. And then um, he didn't need to rely on other guys making shots as much as he did against like the Celtics, for example, to help prop things up. But, you know, shout out to Wes. He goes three or five from three. Uh, Kyle Corver, three or four from three for a couple of minutes. Dante, not nearly as much scoring, but again, very effective doing a whole bunch of different stuff. So, and I think the other thing, you know, we saw in the Knicks game and again in the Nets game here with Robin Lopez out Dragon Bender, he ends up getting 21 minutes, um, six rebounds, six points, nothing too crazy, but he's, he seems serviceable. So um, everybody who was available ended up getting a little bit of burn at least uh, because that's just how much of a walloping it was. So the final score is a little, a little not distracting, but it obfuscates how much of a domination it was for Milwaukee, even though the guys didn't play nearly as crisply as uh, he would like. So. Yeah, it's definitely a sloppy start. And it also was weird because the game, I would say it would seem like it was more of a 10. It was always around 10 point lead. And near the end, Wes Matthews hit like three threes to end the game, which was good to see. But in term, it was a relatively, you know, Milwaukee had 63 rebounds. They had 30 assists. They didn't have that many points. They had 48 points in the paint, which seemed lower than it probably should be. I don't know. It. Yeah, I was, it's definitely one where Milwaukee didn't look like it played at its best, but having having that talent just overrule the other team was helpful. And on the Milwaukee side, yeah, everyone got burned. Dragon Bender once again, first half minutes, and he hit two threes, so that was encouraging to see. George Hill had a relatively quiet game, but it seemed like when he hit, he only had six points, but when he hit those threes, they were very timely when Milwaukee was struggling because I think in the fourth quarter, they didn't score for the first, I think, like four, first four like, minutes. Yeah. Yeah. First four minutes of the quarter. And again, it didn't seem that bad until you looked and I was like, oh, yeah, they still are only sitting on 90, 93 or whatever. And it wasn't until a Giannis dunk or no, a Giannis fadeaway that made it. So Giannis went with a lot of fadeaways as well, which I didn't. I didn't know when that started happening this year, but it seemed like in this particular game, he was really relying on those fadeaways and kind of those free throw shots that he was doing. I think it was like two, three years ago, but yeah, Eric having a quiet game as well. And I know he got the offensive foul for kind of barreling into Jared Allen. And then Kyrie did the same thing and it wasn't called offensive and he got mad at the refs and got called for technical, which I'm okay with because it is one of those where you're kind of arguing for yourself. Like, why is it that when I do it, I get called for an offense foul, but this other player did it and it's a block on me. So I had no problems with that necessarily, but yeah, it was just, it was good for Milwaukee. Kyle Korver also was another guy that, you know, it seemed like when he hit his threes, they were very timely. It, it was when Milwaukee needed a basket at most. So it, it it's kind of hard to read into this game just because there was, it, Milwaukee didn't play its best but still was because of talent so much better than the Brooklyn Nets. 
while Brooklyn seemed most of their issues were self-inflicted just with taking poor shots and defensively being a little bit lapsed and their their roster construction is interesting in that it should be better but at the same time when you have Kyrie nothing ever makes sense with the team <laughs> and they are waiting on KD as well to come back so they're they're just a team that's in a weird place uh the one more thing I, w- I really quick want to talk about we saw it especially in the Celtics and the Nets game um dudes are flopping a lot against Giannis that's I mean it seems to have gotten a lot worse as things go on we seem to have seen teams try walls a little bit more they're hacking the hell out of like by not every single time Giannis touches the ball, but whenever he goes in the paint, they're more than happy to swipe and slam him as much as possible. And there's a lot of dudes who are flopping and that's obviously translating to one charges on Giannis. Cause that's just how refs are calling it And two pretty dangerous moments. Um, there was a moment, I think near the end of the Celtics game where Giannis ends up barreling over smart smart gets called for the blocking foul. Um, and Giannis tries to go for the and one. And as Giannis is landing smarts, he steps on smart and, you know, thankfully neither, at least Giannis doesn't get injured. Obviously he steps right on smart, but I don't know to me when we're talking about this charges thing, it's really annoying. Obviously I'm not going to discount that. I think everybody would agree that it's, it's a problem. It's something that the league should probably step in on, but my my issue more so is how are we going to and we being the Bucks slash Giannis especially how is he going to respond to that? Now I think you pointed it out. Him doing something like the fadeaway jumper is helpful one for his own you know retaining his own body, like keeping his own body safe, not punishing it as much, and giving him a little bit more of an option. But two, it it reduces the ability of opponents to try and draw charges on him. It, it kind of keeps him away from doing his really aggressive thing where he's really good at it, but it puts things a little bit more in doubt every time he drives, where if, if a guy positions correctly, even if it's not a by the rule book or even something we can't agree with as a charge, that's something where it, it could be a problem. And we, like you said, started, saw it at the start of the Nets game. You get two quick fouls on Giannis and that changes the complexion and the strategy for the Bucks completely. Now, luckily it didn't end up mattering, but that's still a possession loss. That's still, you know, a little bit of wear and tear. There's still fouls that are going up on Giannis. And given the way that he plays, he's kind of prone to getting fouls every once in a while, especially on defense, just because he plays so aggressively, which is a plus. But it, was there, I, I just, I think it's something we can bring up, say it's annoying. I'm not sure how we're going to solve it. I'm not sure if the league is going to do anything about it, but it is something to keep an eye on. Yeah, the league's not going to do anything about it. It is really annoying. I think the one that bothered me more was Kyrie taking a charge at like the top of the key, like right in front of the free throw line to stop Giannis. And it's like, at that point, it's like, come on. It's one thing if it's under the hoop, whatever, I get it. It's what you're taught. It's a basketball play. Ursan has made a career out of doing that. So (laughs) So many millions of dollars off of that. Ursan has made millions of dollars doing it. So I get it. And I understand with that because tr- you, you can just try and stand straight up. And it's one thing if you're standing straight up and you get barreled over, I'm not as mad about that. It's when you're above the free throw line doing that. It's like, okay, come on. Now you're not even trying on defense and you get rewarded for it. So I don't think there's going to be any changes to the league just because it's also then you're running into a soccer situation where it's, well, how much of that is necessarily a flop and how much of that is, you know, the contact was that it was a clear contact and that's why you fell over. So it, 
you run into that complex situation where now you're running to a gray area. And then if you do a coach's challenge, then it wastes more time. It makes the game go longer. So I know they were supposed to retroactively punish players for flopping, but it seems like that hasn't happened in years anymore. It seems like at first they were really cracking down on it. And now that they kind of said, yes, we're actually going to do it. They haven't done it in a long time. I think if we all collectively continue to tweet at the NBA ref account that refs suck, I think that's going to help out. So uh, everybody fire up your Twitter accounts and get on that. But uh, I don't know. Just keep an eye on it. Something to, something of interest heading forward. So we're going to go ahead. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back to talk about maybe DJ and Sterling are dead men walking and also Kyle's optimistic hour. We'll be right back. All right, and we're back. So – our third topic today that I want to get at, we can either go positive or negative. I think just to keep with the theme of last week, it would be helpful if we went a little negative first. Uh, we talked about it a little bit at this point. Dragon Bender's getting minutes. Uh, DJ Wilson looks like he might be a dead man walking. And I, I put in here Sterling as well because he's been very hit or miss lately but it's tough to determine how much of that is hit or miss budge is doing his usual rotation some guys get some minutes like pat Connaughton hasn't played a lot lately either so maybe that's tied up with that but i think at this point it's probably about time we've declared it multiple times it feels like in dj's career but it, it, this feels like the final ride at this point yeah i i don't know how you can look at what happened this past week and with robin lopez is out injured Bud still goes to Ursan, but then he goes to another big, and he's picking Dragon Bender, who has rarely played in all this year for the Bucks. I mean, he came in for garbage time once in December for two minutes, and then he came in another time against the Charlotte Hornets when the Bucks were winning by almost 40. He got a decent amount of minutes, and I think another game against the Knicks, which they're winning by 40. But it wasn't until this past week in which Dragon Bender was getting meaningful minutes. And yes, he is doing well in the G League. I understand that, but if you're getting sent to the G League, it's because they don't think you're going to play and they want to make sure you get minutes. While DJ Wilson has been with this team, we have seen him get run during meaningful minutes in the past. And now it hasn't happened anymore. And I don't know. It's kind of like the Christian Wood situation last year where it's like, okay, we know we've seen what this guy can do. Why are we, why is he not getting a chance? And it has to be something in terms of practice. And we even said this, what, two years ago when Giannis sat out, I think there was a game in Phoenix. Giannis didn't play. And instead of giving DJ Wilson any minutes, they just decided they're going to throw Chris at the four. So I don't know how we can look at this and think DJ Wilson has a future on the team. And I know he's still got another year left in his contract and then they'll have to decide what to do with that. But I think Dragon Bender's contract, because it's guaranteed, also includes next year, if I'm correct. Yeah, I believe so. I'm so then, sure. Yeah, so then now you're looking at two guys whose contracts still have another year. I just don't know. We've seen, we know DJ Wilson defensively gives Milwaukee an edge that they could use in the playoffs, but his offense is generally poor. Draga Bender, we think his offense is going to be the reason why he can get playing time and kind of be the guy that Nikola Mirotic was supposed to be last year. You can kind of see it, and he can kind of fill in for Ursan and kind of do the same things as Ursan, might have taken charges, and still be able to do it. But defensively, we don't know if he's going to be good enough. It seems like he gets, he kind of gets bullied around a lot. While DJ Wilson, he did at the beginning. Now, when he's out on the perimeter, he's a little bit better. While Dragon Bender kind of plays more as a five, so he's kind of down low. And he gets pushed around a lot. So I, I just 
don't feel good about DJ Wilson's odds moving forward. I think he's going to be part of a trade package and it could be with Sterling as well. It's just, it's really tough to know what to make. Like it's not a good sign for DJ Wilson. If he's not getting playing time over a Dragon Bender when Robin Lopez is out and he's already, and when he does get the playing time, I'm not going to necessarily say he's been bad, but he hasn't shown anything. He didn't show what he did last year when he had that hot stretch of playing really well. Yep. Yeah, I think just for context sake here as well. So, so far this year, so last year, DJ ended up playing in 48 games. He actually, he started three, which must have been the weirdest three games ever. I have to go back and look at those box scores, but he averaged 18.4 minutes, which, and after his rookie season was felt like a godsend. So I think compared to last year, so far this year, he's only played in 25 games, averaging about 9.3 minutes. So that's going to be like all garbage time. Uh, 3.2 points, nothing too crazy there. 1.8 rebounds, and then his shooting splits are 41 overall, uh, 24.4 from three uh, percentage points, I should say, and then uh, shooting 71.4% from the free throw line on like only 0.3 attempts a game. So I don't know. I think I agree with a lot of what you're saying there. Um, what's difficult, probably most difficult about this first half of the season is we saw, like you said, that hot stretch last year where even if DJ didn't play much in the playoffs, if at all. The fact that he showed something and he actually got like 48 games, which is way more than I think anybody could have expected, gave us a little bit of hope. Like, okay, here's a guy who has some use. Like, he he will do something, which is more than we could have said after his rookie year. And it just, I don't know. It, the, the issue is, I don't know, like you said, if it's, probably most likely something going on behind the scenes or something that only the coaching staff really sees at practice and stuff like that. I wonder how much of it is he's gotten his final year and his contract guaranteed for next year. So it's kind of like whatever to him a little bit at this point. Um, he's kind of, he's been a little bit on the outs probably since bud came into town. Cause he's not one of the bud guys and he's a tough guy to fit around offensively. I don't really think he's a plus player, especially if he's not going to hit from three because we don't need you to be a really good interior player, but hitting threes is critical. And then defensively, as much fun and as like as great as he was for a stretch there, especially I mean the Miami game is going to be one of the greatest games of all time from last season. Where if there's if if there's going to be a DJ Wilson highlight reel, that's going to be the one. And we haven't seen that that much this season. And even if he was doing that, I think a lot of that impact is blunted by the fact that. Milwaukee doesn't necessarily need dominant on ball, like switchy guys per se, like it's helpful, but one bud has to be willing to go to a defensive scheme that really maximizes that guy's talents And two, even if he doesn't, if he doesn't switch, then you, your whole defense is like, even if the guy gets past you, it's not the end of the world because theoretically we have a center or like a, you know, a forward who's behind you to help clean up. And so his usage drops like how effective he could be now maybe he'll be more useful elsewhere and there's another team that he's is willing to take a chance on him see like maybe there's enough here but i I just think the way the roster is constructed the way that he's played so far this year the lack of opportunities he's gotten which you know i don't even like you said i don't even blame bud all that much because between whatever they're seeing in practice and how he's played I, i really don't see a need for him to get minutes so We've said it, like I said, multiple years in a row now, but this feels like the final ride now. He's going to be a little bit difficult to trade or even get rid of if you don't get rid of him in a trade because he has that 4.2 guaranteed next year. So even if you try to waive him, you're eating that. 
And unless it's like a surefire can't miss buyout guy, I'm not sure if the Bucks would be willing to take that on. So I don't know. It's he's in a weird place right now. A bit of a shame, but I guess good on the Bucks for finding a guy in Dragon who they might also believe in. And even if they don't play the same position, they're similar enough where you take a gamble on the guy. If it works out great, then you have a bit of a it doesn't hurt as much that DJ is taking up a roster spot. But I'm I i do not know. It's just this is it. This feels like this is it, which is it's fine. It's probably about time, but uh, difficult all around. And kind of a shame that it didn't work out. Yeah, that's weird because it wasn't. Until, once the Miritich trade happened last year, that yeah, then he of, dropped the minutes. Yeah, that was the then which he is, dropped the again, minutes. That was fine. Stopped. You know, it made like, sense. In my opinion. Yeah, it made sense. And again, I'm also not like I don't mind DJ Wilson. I think he he has a skill set that could be beneficial for the Milwaukee Bucks, especially in the playoffs. It's also just tough because I know we've talked about it separately, but we're not big lean on Ursan in playoff people. Yeah. And Ursan, and to Ursan's credit, he has played well enough that he it justifies why he is getting the playing time he is. So that it's not, it, it would be even worse if all of a sudden Ursan was playing poorly and Dragon Bender was still getting ahead of DJ. Well, it's like, okay, the two guys in front of you, there's a guy in front of you who's playing terrible. And instead of going to you, they're going to the guy that they've been shipping off to Oshkosh every other week. <laughs> yeah. Then that would be even worse. I think for DJ, it's just more of a, I don't know unless Bud is planning on saving for the playoffs, which I don't think is likely. Yeah. I mean, it's either. just, yeah, I think this is it. Sterling, on the other hand, I, I feel like it happens every once in a while with like him and Pat Connaughton where they get playing time, they play really well or they play really poorly and then they're out of the rotation. And then they come back in the rotation, play really well, play really poorly, they're out of the rotation. With Sterling Pat Connaughton, that seems to be the cycle it goes through. And I think with Dante playing as well as he has, it's kind of made it tougher to find time for Sterling and even Pat Connaughton. And with Kyle Corver still hitting his shots, if Kyle Corver's hitting his shots, he's going to play. It's that simple. If he's going to do a cold stretch, maybe. Then you sit him down. But I feel like Sterling will be a little bit He's going to be tougher than DJ, I think, just because he is going to be a free agent. And what contract are you giving Sterling? Yeah. Because he can be the 3 and D guy that teams crave, but how much are you really willing to pay for it? Because I can't, like, I think about Tony, what, Tony Snell got about eight, nine, 10 mil, eight to 10 mil a yep. year. Yep. And we thought that was like a bad deal. And <laughs> Tony Snell at least proved that he can hit threes and, his on-ball defense was you. It, Tony Snell at least would play him on the court. Trying to give Sterling Brown those minutes—that I wouldn't feel comfortable about doing that at all. But I don't think I think he still has more of a future this year with Milwaukee than D, than DJ Will. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I, it it is interesting with Sterling. I think at this point, um, and I love Sterling to death. I think there's still a lot of potential there. But at this point, it's another situation where he seems to be what he is at this point. Now, maybe he could, there's parts of his game that he could still slightly improve, but you know, he's not going to be any man's like offensive creator necessarily. He's still pretty good defensively, but it feels like to me at this point, um, you probably try to sell high and I have no idea what's selling high on a second rounder who is, you know, he's, he is going to be a restricted free agent. So any team that gets him, who maybe likes him will have a chance to match any sort of deal, but you're right that, for a guy like him, who it seems at this point he's the definition of a role player, he'll have moments where he's obviously really helpful, especially in the offensive end where he's hitting from three. But it feels like to me, if you're looking for a way to try and sweeten the pot, you have the first rounder. 
and you try like all hell to sell another team on Sterling and to the potential of, you know, maybe you can get him on a relatively decent deal. And if he has a bigger role somewhere else, that'll help him really stand out. But it, it feels like at this point for both those guys, like I said, Sterling, probably if he sticks around, he'll, he will have a role to play. He ended up having a role to play last year, at least through the first round. And I think game one against the Celtics in the playoffs, but you know, I'm just not sure if he's going to play a big enough role where you're like, well, we got to keep this guy. Like if, if he's got to be a trade throw in for somebody who might really contribute within the rotation in the playoffs, I, I think you got to do it and you don't look back, which is again, it's kind of a downer because I think there's a lot of people who are big Sterling Brown fans, but you know, he has his limitations. That is what it is. But I do want to say real quick, uh, I guess the one thing I want to pivot to after all that negativity last week, Adam and I were, Big old downers about the team, and I think it was a real shame that you weren't here to help uh, help offset it. So I, I titled it here as the Kyle Optimistic Hour. Obviously, we're not going to go for a full hour, but I think we were talking before we started recording that if asked between if you felt better or worse about the championship odds for the Bucks this season, you would say better. So if, if that's the case, make for me the optimistic take. What is it about the team that, that has you in a slightly more confident mood going into the playoffs than maybe compared to last season? I would say it has more to do with the competition in the field than the Milwaukee Bucks itself. I think in terms of talent, I think Milwaukee is worse than last year. I can't, even though I get annoyed with all the Malcolm Brogdon takes, he is a better player than Wes Matthews and Kyle Korver. And he would have been a locked-in starter, great guy to have, Milwaukee to have just for his skill set and ability. Not I, Thankfully, Milwaukee hasn't. They haven't missed a beat without him. They still have the scheme and it's working. And they, you know, a guy like Wes Matthews can defend and shoot. So that does help. So even if he's not hitting shots, he can defend well enough that you can put him on the court. It's just that the rest of the Eastern Conference, I don't see beating Milwaukee in a seven game series. Last year, you can at least talk. I could see Toronto and they did, but Toronto was the one team where I was like, they have Kawhi Leonard. They've given the Bucks fits in the past with guys like Serge Ibaka. They traded for Marcus Saul. You know, Kyle Lowry is annoying. I didn't expect Fred Van Vliet to be the reason why the Bucks get completely crushed in the last two games of the series. But at least then there's a team that you can point and say, this team can beat Milwaukee in a seven-game series. Now, I don't feel as confident. Maybe Philly could beat Milwaukee in a seven-game series. But, I mean, you saw in the Christmas Day game, they had a recipe that could work. Milwaukee plays abysmal. You don't have one of your three best players. You hit a bunch of threes, and you don't have to rely on Ben Simmons doing things for you. And now, looking at Philly, are they even going to get out of the first round? Because right now, they're scheduled to play the Boston Celtics. That is, And if they get through that, then they play either Miami or Orlando. So Philly might not even get to the Eastern Conference Final. They're the only team that I can reasonably see beating Milwaukee in the seven-game series, and I wouldn't even put high odds on that. I would maybe put 20%. So... You look at the rest of the Eastern Conference, Bucks are the number one seed by a substantial distance. Then there's Miami. Miami's good. They've also had a very easy schedule. And they seem to just get the they get the wins that they need to get, but lose games they shouldn't. Then there's Boston. They're gonna be annoying, but they still don't other than Kemba Walker, I don't think there's a player necessarily that strikes enough fear in Milwaukee, and there's no one on there that can stay with Giannis. Last year at least they had Al Horford to somewhat try 
this year they don't have that. I mean, you're re- you're relying on Enos Cantor and Daniel Tice. Okay, good luck. Then you get the four and five. There's Toronto, who they're not as they're still a threat, but it looks like they're gonna have to rely on other guys to get them past the next round. And I again, they're a good team. Not good enough to beat Milwaukee in seven-game series. Indiana, I don't think it's good enough to beat Milwaukee in seven-game series, even with Victor Oladipo. Then you got Philly. Then you have Orlando, who, no, they're pesky, but Milwaukee would sweep them or at least get a gentleman sweep. And then you have Brooklyn, who Milwaukee, again, sweeps or get a gentleman sweep. So getting to the finals, I think it's easier for Milwaukee because the competition isn't as intimidating. And there isn't that team that you can look and say, yes, they are on par with Milwaukee and can beat them. So that's why I think the odds are higher that they get to the finals. And then when they play in the finals, you know, unless it's one of the LA teams, I, and even that, I still feel good about Milwaukee's odds in beating the Clippers in a seven game series. The Lakers might be an interesting one just because, you know, when LeBron's going to do what LeBron does and Anthony Davis, like those are two guys that can cause Milwaukee fits in a variety of ways. And then for the Lakers, they have to rely on other guys and how much is that going to help them? So that's why I think. Milwaukee's odds are higher, even though they're not as talented. I think the rest of the competition, especially in the Eastern Conference, has gotten weaker as well. Yeah, and I think we should also, on top of all that, so yes, the field is weaker. Even though this team isn't as talented, we should also give credit to the fact that you know they talked about it a lot at the start of the year, but I think it is pretty true that last year was about implementing the system, and now we're seeing a lot of the guys, at least the guys who have been kept on since last season, seem to have perfected it to a degree, especially like defensively. Brooke has been really, really on top of things uh, in the paint. The three-point shooting, even though it's not falling from Milwaukee, they're sticking with it. Like It's not something where they're being ultra-reactive and trying to swing away from what they do so well, which is a positive. And I think what's even on top of all of that is the fact that this is a factor last season as well, so we'll see whether or not it plays out as a negative thing uh, this upcoming postseason. But... They're on pace to retain the league's overall number one seed, which would mean home court advantage throughout the entire playoffs, which I think is still valuable. And then the second point is they're going to get there without really putting their guys through the ringer, which I think they didn't do last season. And that didn't end up saving them because it didn't seem like uh, Mike Budenholzer was really ready or willing to put the guys into increased minute loads when it got tight against Toronto, at least, but they're going to be able to go into the playoffs again this season with the home court throughout the entire, every single series. If they get that far, they're going to have their top superstar MVP guy who is going to have, I'll have to look at how many minutes he has this season versus last season, but it's, it's pretty close. He might even be playing less minutes per game and they're going to come in being really good at what they do which is helpful like you're going to switch a little bit over the course of a series but at least the first couple of games you're probably going to rely on what got you there and if you're able to get a two to three game lead just doing what you were doing already that goes a long way to making the ride pretty easy for you so i agree that between the field not being as good and the bucks being you know as good if not a little bit more efficient than they were last season all to the positive. Now, the one thing obviously we have to say is it could all change at the trade deadline. We'll see what teams are able to do and we'll probably tackle that once the deadline gets here. But I agree that Adam and I were maybe a little too negative last week. There are a lot of reasons why you should be happy about this team. And I think you outlined a lot of them pretty well. 
Yeah, and I mean, all the concerns are valid. Like, the Bucks not having a plan B is concerning. Last year, they could have Bledsoe or Brogdon or Giannis just go to the hoop and take it there. And I know in Game 6 against Toronto, they just handed the ball to Brook Lopez in the post and let him do everything. So there are definite concerns. I mean, Brook Lopez is shooting. That's a red flag. I don't know if it's ever going to at least regress to the norm. We talked about George Hill and if that's going to happen. What happens if those wing guys like Wes and Dante and George Hill and Kyle Korver, if they don't play well? Because I think we're at the point now that we can rely on Giannis and we can rely on Chris to perform in the playoffs. But then after that, I don't. We don't. Will Eric Bledsoe? I don't know. And if he doesn't, can George Hill continue it? And if he doesn't, is Dante the guy? Which I hope he is, but I can't guarantee that. Then you're looking at the back of four. Urson, again, we're not big Urson in the playoff guys, but what are your other alternatives? And there's definitely issues with this team and it's been exposed. And, you know, the recent losses against Philly and San Antonio is the defense, while it is really, really good overall, it's still susceptible. Uh, susceptible uh, I can't say the word. Susceptible. It's, yes. Thank you. It's still yeah. at risk of being exploited if someone hits a couple of threes. So there are definitely definite concerns that I would, I can, I see are valid it's just, I think overall, thankfully, the Eastern Conference got worse. If Kawhi was still in Toronto, I would say no. Milwaukee's not making the Eastern. They're not making the finals. But because there is no, I mean, the second best player in the East is who? Maybe Joel Embiid? Probably Joel, if, yeah. Right. And that's not necessarily, if that's your second best player in the East, I don't know how far you can go with that team. So, that's why I think Milwaukee can, but the concerns that you and Adam listed out last week were completely valid. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think uh, even though the field is a little bit weaker, I think it makes it interesting insofar as there's a lot of teams that might keep the pressure on the Bucks, and we'll, we'll have to see how they kind of answer to that. And I think the point about the second best guy being uh, Joel, I think if you look at all the different playoff teams, it is interesting in that last year you could be like, oh, well, you know, Kawhi might be the clear number one. I think obviously Giannis is the clear number one this season. None of the other teams really have the quote unquote second star guy. So even though Milwaukee doesn't have the second star, obviously you can argue about Joel and Ben Simmons, but I think there are open questions about them. They're probably more of a defensive risk than those two guys going off offensively, so to say. But I think that's also kind of interesting to keep an eye on is the fact that none of the other teams really have the traditional second star, the way that the Bucks also don't have the traditional second star. So you can't even really point to some of the team might have an undisputed number one over Giannis and then have enough talent elsewhere. So I think, you know, that kind of puts me a little bit at ease as well. So, yeah. And also a lot of the teams, number one, how many of them are actually better than Chris Middleton? Yeah. I would say Joel Embiid, Jimmy, maybe, maybe Jimmy. Yeah. Jimmy, I can see Kemba. I can see, but that's really it. But I wouldn't say Pascal Siakam is ahead of Chris as good as Siakam has been. I don't think he's ahead of Chris. I don't, I wouldn't put Kyrie up there. I don't know who the magic's number one is. Uh, <laughs> that's a uh, uh, DJ Augustine, probably. I maybe don't know. or Vucevic, like maybe or Markel Fultz, but he's got, I mean, he's good. Fultz has been good, but yeah, I wouldn't put him ahead of Chris. And then for Indiana, regardless if it's Oladipo or Brogdon, they're not better than Chris. So it's kind of interesting to see how a lot of teams, number one might not even be better than the Bucks number two. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things, especially I think the odds of getting to the finals for sure are definitely higher. There's still you could get tripped up because we've seen it happen on occasion, but there there's a lot going Milwaukee's way, which I think is uh, more than we can say 
I mean, again, last season we thought everything was going Milwaukee's way, so you never can be too sure, but it does look pretty promising overall. So, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for the optimism, Kyle. I think that was uh, well needed. That was uh, we could have used you last week, but we're, I'm glad we got it this week. <laughs> Being so. a father makes you a little, little bit more optimistic. Yeah. There we go. That's a good. That's a good positive way to speak. So we'll move on here. We got a couple of miscellaneous topics we're going to hit on our usual segments. We got rapid fire. We got, thank goodness, Kyle's back for the Kyle's film review. A little bit of vulture talk in the week ahead, but I think we will begin with the rapid fire questions. All right. So pretty straightforward questions. Uh, First one, do you have a morning routine? It really depends. I mostly do. So I get up at 545 most mornings. There are some mornings where I'll go to the gym. And if that's the case, I get up at five. But most mornings get up at 545, go shower. Um, Then I set up the coffee. I usually do a French press most mornings. Uh, Some every once in a while do the just the coffee machine. But for the most part, French press it, set that up, eat breakfast. I'll either do a little journaling or a little bit of reading. And then I'm on my way and on the bus at about 7.30 to get to work at 8. So that is my usual morning routine, thrown off every once in a while if I want to do a morning workout. Yeah, I could not wake up at 5 for workout. Like, I've done it, but that's always been my struggle. Yeah, it's brutal. It's Especially in the winter, like, there's nothing worse than dragging yourself out of the warm bed and be like, okay, time to go run in this two-degree weather. Like, it's it was a lot easier to do that when I weighed, like, 80 pounds heavier than I currently do. So not as easy when you lose all the weight to uh, gut through the negative degrees to go run around outside. That is fair. All right. Would you rather have free groceries for life or free gas for life? Uh, groceries. Uh, we, thank goodness, Minneapolis, St. Paul, they have a pretty good metro system for a Midwestern. Do. Yeah, for a Midwestern city. So we're able to get around relatively easily. Uh, we only really use up the car when we have to go back home or for some sort of trip or something. So I would take free groceries all day. Yeah, I would still go three groceries, even though I have to drive as much, just because then I would take, I would get a lot more food. <laughs> that is, that is, like, we do pretty well in getting a lot of food just because Catherine's into lifting. So she's got to do a really specific diet and get a lot of calories in. But uh, it would make things a lot easier if we could just have somebody else pay for it. Yeah. What decade would you want to live in the most? So if you had to go back and live for a decade with your current, without knowing what was going to happen in the future? Uh, man, that's a good question. So <laughs> like I would say, I think the early 1900s are interesting just because they're like, they were, they're kind of like us, but it was such a different world, you know, like it, with the 60s, 70s and 80s, there's outlines enough where I'm like, okay, I can kind of get a grasp on that. Even with like the 1940s, there's still enough there, but I think right around the turn of the century. Uh, obviously, I'd rather not get drafted and tossed into the trenches in World War One. So if we could avoid that, maybe not the 1910s, <laughs> but either the 1900s or like the, would they call them? They wouldn't call it the aughts. So just the straight up 1900s or the 1920s maybe would be my choice there. Yeah, I think I, wa- I went with the 80s or 90s. Just yeah. I think music wise, I think the 80s would be really interesting to go through. I tend to, I'm not a huge eighties guy, but I think there is a lot about culture. Like that's the, the one thing that would more current uh, decades would have is like my odds of dying of malaria would be a lot lower, you know, and and like more recent times. So there is that to keep in mind. And then, you know, I mean, don't be wrong. I'm not disrespecting the Charleston, but something tells me that uh, culturally there's probably been a lot more advances (laughs) more recently than there were at the uh, turn of the century. And I'm also going to go with, because I'm black, I'm going to go with the decades that actually let me be a normal citizen. <laughs> yeah, <as> yeah. Well. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a super fair point. That's a really Like some point. people are like, yeah, I want to go to like the Roaring Twenties. Like, I'd rather not. 
And then you have the Great Depression after yeah, 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 yeah. That's World a... War II. It's like wow, you know, there's just a lot of decades. Yeah. I'm just gonna pass. There's a tri- <laughs> there's the that's the triple whammy. Those three decades. So <laughs> you're probably that, that your answer is definitely. Yeah, we got on four point. decades of like I'm gonna pass and try to live this life. Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> that's a tough one. So that's a, that's a fair point. Um, favorite season. Uh, I would go with fall because the winter is brutal, but that that's like the only season the Midwest really has going for it is the couple of weeks in fall where everything's really pretty. The weather's like crisp without being you know, brutally cold or anything. So I would say fall is where I'm going for there. That is the right answer. <laughs> and, uh, the last one I have is what is the best sport? What's the best sport to watch in person? What's the best sport to watch on TV? I would say... Um, I guess your favorite, I should say. Yeah, so I would say I don't go to a lot of live sporting events. On TV, probably football because the games I've seen in person, like it's really exciting. Um, but I, I think just the the number of people, the sight lines, everything like that, that kind of throws me off. Um, I'm, I'm not huge on baseball live or on TV. Like it, it's fine maybe basketball is my favorite in person just because it's the one that I grasp best. And you usually you're closest to the court and the action, which is pretty cool. Um, and I, I think soccer suffers from the fact that because the field is so gigantic and there are so many moving parts, like unless they get the camera angle, just right. You're missing a lot of what's happening. Like you'll obviously get kind of a close up where you see a guy like mega guy or some sort of cool, like on the ball play. But otherwise it's, it's a little difficult to really capture everything within the frame of the camera, which football suffers from too, but at least everybody's set up after every play, like right up and you can kind of get an idea of what they're going to do. So that would be my uh, answers. Yeah. I would say football definitely is for TV. Um, I go back and forth because I feel like with soccer, it depends on what quality you're watching. Cause if you're watching like the premier league or like, a top European one. I think they have like their cameras well enough. Yeah. That like you could see enough of the field on TV. But then if you go to like lower level American division three, like Ford Massive games, it's it's really hard to see anything. Those yeah. camera angles suck. Up in the stands <laughs> so, like, are not great. And then the stands, like I mean for me, I'm in the fan section most of the time. So I can't see half of what's going on. So it's I would say basketball in person. I, yeah, I feel like, especially in the Pfizer forum, there really isn't a bad seat, so you can see what's going on. So, yeah, it's just, it's so tough with soccer, just because it really depends on the quality of league. Yeah, and I went to, I went to a Bundesliga game when I was in Cologne, and that was really cool, but it was also, like, I was way up in the stands, like, it, it's similar situation to football, where you can finally see everything, but you're so far away, it's like, well, I mean, that thing's happening, which is cool. I actually... I had a rapid fire question for you and we'll make this as rapid fire as you want. We are starting to get out of the off season into the spring here. Why should our listeners support forward Madison? Why, what, if you were to give them like a, a one minute pitch on now that you've gotten your first season out of the way, what, what would you pitch people on for forward Madison? All right. First of all, the jerseys are fire. They that, are. that is the first reason you don't get voted the best Jersey in the world in the world. Might I tell you, <laughs> without having it be great. So that's reason one. Reason two, I think the quality, like the players, like the quality of play is a lot better than I think you would realize. Just because you think, okay, it's Division Three soccer. It's got to be like a bunch of dudes that are like washed up, like washed in semi-pro amateur, like guys that are in the bar, kind of like your kickball league. And it's like, no, it's actually a lot better. Like these are professionals. These are guys who... Are getting called up to their countries and guys that 
you know, maybe they're not good enough to be at the MLS, but they're still pretty good. Like the quality has improved substantially. Um, also, this is solely for Madison specific, but if you ever go to a game, going in the fan section is a great time. And I am biased in saying that, but it actually feels like if you're a big fan of soccer, like, and like atmosphere, I would say at Ford Madison has one of the best atmospheres that's out there. And I think the last point, just not even for Ford Madison, but I think kind of going off of the quality of players, like there's some teams out there that are really, really good. Like FC Dallas has their Academy team that leagues. So they got guys that are 16, 17 years old and they are just so good. It's kind of ridiculous how good they are. Like they get called up to national. They also get called up to national teams and get looked at by Bayern Munich just like seeing that and then on the other end you have like a team called greenville triumph who if you're a fan of like structured like disciplined soccer they're a good team to watch as well just because their defense is really good so quality of play sick jerseys and atmosphere are why you should be a fan of ford madison and the league in general yeah and i think uh, another thing people don't say it enough uh if you're looking for entertainment on a weekly basis that's relatively like reasonable price-wise uh support your local soccer team like especially if they're a pro team like oh, yeah. Madison, or it's a little bit harder up here because obviously minnesota united is in mls and they have a pretty rabid fan base but if you're anywhere where you're not like an mls team but if you're like a usl one two or championship team looking for something to do for 90 minutes like the other thing is soccer over all the other sports, the pacing, I think, is by far the best just because the way that it is, like the running clock the entire time, I, I find that really entertaining, at least for me. For We have so many sports where the ad breaks and everything really breaks up the speed and the kind of the flow of the game and that soccer, soccer even no matter what level you play it at or watch it at, that does not change whatsoever. And like you said, the athletes we're in the year 2020 like even in like lower divisions these are all dudes who have been playing the sport for so long and it's such a high level that you know they're they're there for a reason so i agree with all your points and uh if you're in milwaukee and you want to go see some pro soccer definitely make a little jaunt it's it's a good thing i haven't been to a game but usually smaller stuff like that it's pretty intimate uh cool atmosphere like you were saying and for a lot of those teams they have a pretty rapid fan base as well so uh yeah shout out forward madison yeah, I was going to say Minneapolis has a team, Minneapolis City, and they're, I don't know, like, I don't think they're professional, but they're, like, kind of like that semi-pro, but they are, they have a good atmosphere, and those tickets are cheap, and their jerseys are also fantastic. Yeah, I don't know what's up with the lower league teams. It's because they don't have to, like, go with... It's a mess. Yeah, it's because, like, Adidas <laughs> is, like, the main designer for a lot of teams, and they're very and hit or miss. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's not great. All right, so soccer. Uh, now we're going to move on real quick to uh, Kyle's Film Review. what's uh, we should so this is huge spoiler i don't know why we should do a huge spoiler because the movie's been out for months now but if you have not seen the latest star wars movie this is your time to either skip forward like five ten minutes just wait until you hear my voice again because i'm not gonna have much to say but just an alert for you this is the star wars episode nine whatever the hell that's called review all right the rise of skywalker there we go <sighs> what a movie and not in a good way i'm so my first reaction when I left was, wow, that was really underwhelming. It, like all the hype, all the, all what I was expecting. And I mean, for me, like Star Wars is like that film franchise that I like love dearly. I know some people have other franchises, like some have Harry Potter, some have 
you know, like the, the whole Avengers thing, like Star Wars is that for me. And given what happened with The Last Jedi, there's a lot of bad reaction to it. Most of it was completely unwarranted and really stupid and some slight misogynistic and sexism and racism. A little tinge of that, but going into this movie, I was like, okay, I don't know where it's going to go, but they have to wrap things up. And how they're going to wrap things up is going to be really interesting. And yet they managed to make this movie more of a, hey, I know you didn't like this last movie, so we're going to do a lot to just like fix and act like that was the wrong decision. We're just going to make this more fan appeasing than actually continuing the story. For example, Palpatine comes back. Emperor Palpatine, the big baddie other than Darth Vader. He's alive. How is he alive? I don't know. I don't know how you survive getting thrown like hundreds of feet down a shaft and blow up when the Death Star blew up. And then like your body just so far, it's just fine. You're okay. And you're just like chilling on this planet that no one seems to have like tried looking for except Luke Skywalker kind of did and then decided not to. No one really thought about that. And oh yeah, now he's back. And oh yeah, he has a granddaughter and it's the main character, Ray. And it's like, you just told us that anyone could have like the ability to use the force and that you don't have to have this like specific lineage and then you're going to just toss it out the window. So that was annoying. A lot of the pacing was a mess. I mean, it looked great. The movie looked great. And if you're more of a neutral when it comes to Star Wars, you will enjoy this movie. But if you're someone that actually cares about it, it ended so rushed and there's just a lot of things that didn't make sense. And I think that's a big issue with this whole trilogy is all three movies feel like separate movies and they don't tie the story in at all. And I think that's my bigger issue with it is like, it didn't really tie like movie one, like from the force awakens to the last Jedi to this, it kind of just felt like three separate movies, which makes sense because they had three separate people kind of directing it. So it felt more like it was appeasing the fans that were upset about the last movie and trying to fix those mistakes while also still clinging on the old Skywalker stories and like callbacks like Lando Carlisian comes back and he's able to get a whole army to fight the big bad guys. But yet Leia, who is the general who is like top shit, sends a distress call and no one comes to help. And it's like, why that doesn't make sense. And Palpatine coming back and that whole storyline was just like, this is dumb. So I was just, I was, I was left underwhelmed. Like I said, if you're more of a neutral, you'll enjoy the movie. It is, it's got good action. It's got an awesome space fight, but I mean, it just didn't feel like for how much hype it got and how much I'm sure Disney poured into it. It was underwhelming. I'm hoping that maybe in the future, they stop trying to tie everything to the Skywalker, which is why I think the Mandalorian is so good is because they don't need the whole Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker storyline to make it work. And I think that's really what I'm looking forward to down the road. So I'm going to give it a f- 5.5 out of 10. I was going to say, that sounded like maybe you might go 6. My my only question for you is, I know in episode 7, I didn't see 8, they essentially did the Death Star for the 4th time, or 5th time, or 6th time. Now I heard from somebody, now every Star Destroyer ship also has a Death Star laser. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was also <laughs> okay. the thing. It was like, Amazing. Palpatine comes back, gets this whole like Imperial Fleet army that can now destroy planets. So instead of, yeah, we had the first Death Star, then we had the second one, then they had this Star Killer base, and now they just have like a freaking fleet that can do that is capable of doing it. It's like, how was he able to do that? again? How was he able to make all of this while just chilling on an island with like a corpse that was sitting in like a 
I don't know. Uh, yeah, that didn't make sense. And when he used the force lightning to kind of shut down the rebels ships, it's like, wait, you're telling me you have all this power to shoot lightning to stop the ships, but you can't destroy them. You, the all knowing and powerful Sith God couldn't destroy these ships. That's not making sense. That's not adding up. So, yeah, there was a whole fleet this time instead of just like a planet or, uh, yeah, just a base. All right. Well, it sounds like I didn't see it. I don't plan on seeing it, which is just fine by me. So, uh, you know, again, if you're neutral or you find it on Disney Plus when it comes out, it's worth watching because, like, again, it is like visually really good and the action is good if you're a neutral just like as someone like me that wanted the whole story to make sense it didn't make sense <sighs> star wars what are you doing i think it is promising like you said that they have other options for other stories so hopefully they really hit into that that's the the one hope that star wars fans have which i think with the mandalorian how well it's been reviewed hopefully a good thing uh so yeah thanks for the film review our uh our next uh section here real quick one got some vulture talk uh this week nothing too crazy or it's just coming from our our good friend Stephen a smith uh at first i was wondering why he tweeted about Giannis going to the warriors if there was something that prompted it i looked did a little research all it was was literally some dude tweeted at him on his personal accounts for like a post radio show q a and he asked do you want Giannis to go to the warriors and he said yes because It'd be really cool. Was essentially the uh, the basis for which why he would want him to go there. Um, outside of that, I didn't see any other like teams doing anything actively to be annoying or try to recruit Giannis. But Stephen A. Smith stepped in wonderfully to be the uh, the catalyst to try and get Giannis to move out west. So uh, it continues on, even if it isn't a team actually doing it. Yeah, it's it's just weird. I tweeted this on the Brew Hoop account, but. The John Horst and the Bucks got fined for answering question about Giannis's free agency, their own player. And I'm of the belief that you're going to find players, you're going to find teams for talking about these free agency, but yet you're going, I understand that you have to like have storylines and get the clicks, but at what point do you, does the NBA just like jump in and be like, okay, this is clearly like getting out of hand slash tampering. And it's like, I know you can't find and like a network, but it's, but it's also like, come on, guys. This is even for like ESPN standards. This is getting out of hand. I think the one thing it, we don't have too much more to talk about Vulture Talk, but I think the one thing that was has been impressive this season. I don't think it's been even that bad. Like honestly, I was expecting a lot worse. Like a lot more people speculating all the time. Now, how much of that is Giannis just putting the kibosh on it right at the start of the season? I don't know. But if it's just going to be the occasional Stephen A. and like. Stephen Curry uh, or Steph Curry gives him like a Jersey and a note. If that's like the extent of most of the talk, I, I think we've, we've gotten off really light so far. Now, <laughs> once the summer comes, then obviously depending on how the season goes, that's going to kick into overdrive. But uh, I think overall, if you're a Bucks fan, you could be pretty pleased that it hasn't been a complete and total circus, at least so far. Yeah. I, it, it, it thankfully has been a lot more calm than I had expected, and it helps that the Bucks are winning. Yeah. It's just, I, yeah, I guess I don't also focus too much on the national media anymore because, you know, I know the people that are going to cover the NBA and actually follow and know the NBA well are the, they're putting out level headed takes. Like the Ringer had a good article. I think Tom Ziller had like a good thing in his, um, like, sub- daily subscription. Yeah. Like there are guys out there that like, 
provide level headed approaches to it, which helps. So it's just, it's mainly the ones that follow it intensely know what they're saying. It's just the ones that, you know, kind of like Stephen A. Smith or, cause I think on Christmas, I think they talk about Giannis's free agency, like in the pregame show. And it's like, you have a team between the two best teams in Easter conference, supposedly. And yet you're spending most of that segment talking about Giannis leaving. Yeah. Like, come on. Like that is just more my issue. And like, and shows like the jump where it was really good. And now it seems to have gotten like the quality has dropped off. It's just more. Yeah. Milwaukee has gotten off pretty lightly, but at the same time, the people that know what's going on are those are the ones you need to follow. We don't need to care about what ESPN or Fox sports or Colin Cowherd or any of those idiots think. Don't give them click clicks people. That's the, that's what they feed off of. They feed off the engagement. Don't engage and you'll see it a lot less. So uh, yeah, vulture talk. And then final segment we have here. Quick one, only two games this week. We have uh, tonight. Well, I guess you'll be listening to this Monday. So Monday night uh, versus Chicago home game. And then we have the vaunted midseason overseas trip. They're playing the Charlotte Hornets in Paris, in Paris on Friday. I believe that's a two o'clock central game. I'm pretty sure. So uh, two technically home games this week, Monday and then overseas. Kyle, I'll leave it to you. How do you feel about this upcoming week? I mean, you have to look and pick two and oh, first of all, they're playing the Bulls. So that's an easy win right there. <laughs> Instant W. <laughs> Charlotte is they're an interesting team because they have pieces that like Devontae Graham has been pretty good. And like they got like Devontae Graham's had a great season. There's not really a lot of other guys that they have. I would still think they win this game, but I could see some weird stuff going on between travel, jet lag and just not playing as well in a whole different environment. I, I could just see those things causing Milwaukee fits, but thankfully they're playing Charlotte, who are not that good. So I'm going to go 2-0. Yeah, I'm going to be right there with you. I think there's a possibility. Do we have – there's nobody who would have experience in France, I guess. I, I'm not too worried about the Parisian nightlife remaining undefeated. Maybe <laughs> maybe it will. Oh, but... I feel the opposite. I feel like the Parisian – well – Depends. Are the significant others going? Because I could definitely see like going out in the town, like having nice dinners and all of a sudden you look and it's like, oh, it's like 10 p.m. We still have to get back to our hotel, which I don't think is going to happen. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I feel, like, I feel like Paris has a night. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the Parisian nightlife, what that's like. But I just figure with all big European cities, there's just like stuff you could do. Yeah, you're probably right. Now, the one thing they have going for them is that the Charlotte guys are going to have the same thing. And you know, Terry Rogier is taking the whole team out of the town. So maybe we'll have oh, yeah. the, the <laughs> it's the double nightlife for both teams. So maybe that ends up working in Milwaukee favor. But uh, I think I it's pretty like safe. going to eat something and get sick, like get food poisoning. Yeah, that's a possibility. A little escargot action never. Uh, it, you know, never hurts to at least try, but there's definitely maybe a little bit of stomach bug possibility. But I guess we'll find out at the end of the week. Uh, it, like we said, kind of a midday game on Friday. Uh, they play tomorrow, MLK Day. So tune in for that a little bit earlier start, 4 o'clock for that as well. But uh, yeah, should be hopefully eight straight by the end of the week. And the Bucks will have gotten to 40 wins, you whatever, out of 46 tries, which is obviously super impressive so uh it, hopefully they do we'll be here next week to break it all down for you guys uh you can find me at riley feldman on twitter kyle where can they find you you can find me at kyle coche on twitter and uh obviously you know 
keep tuning into Brew Hoop. Go to the websites. Uh, you got my usual Monday morning piece. We have uh, obviously game coverage. We're gonna have a couple of pieces as we get closer to the trade deadline. Kind of prepping that as well. A uh, Dragon we Bender piece coming as well. Dragon Bender, the the introspective, the uh, the in, not an interview, but the uh, the full cover story for him. You got Brian obviously on his pod as well each week. Uh, so keep tuned. Uh, we'll catch you guys next week, and we will see you later.